<clears throat> the message that I'm hoping to preach here this morning is in harmony with the general theme of the message last Lord's Day. It's a slightly different subject, but connected. <clears throat> I'm praying about whether to do one more or not. Uh, I had originally intended three. Uh, I don't know whether I will or not. I, have, uh, I used to read in the introduction of some of my Puritan books... <clears throat> where the author would say, well, I did a series of messages on this subject, uh, but my friends weighed in upon me and urged me to put this into print. And so you have it before you. And uh, <clears throat> I'm not talking about a book that I'm going to write, but I can say some of my brothers and friends here and uh, one of my sisters... Um, strongly urged me to change course and not to preach the series on the qualification of elders on Wednesday nights. Not enough people are tuning in. We want the entire congregation to hear the qualifications for an elder as we all continue as a body praying that the Lord will raise up another uh, maybe even more elders to serve in this congregation. So I intend to do that. Right now what I'm trying to decide is whether to begin that next week or the week after. But uh, I will be praying that the Lord will make his, uh, his purpose clear. So this morning I'm going to be preaching from Psalm 119. For those of you Perhaps concerned, I'm not preaching the whole thing. <clears throat> I will be preaching from Psalm 119, beginning in verse 129. Psalm 129 through verse 136. Our message this morning focuses on verse 136. But we do want to see that verse in its context. And so we will give a very light overview of the verses that precede it. Psalm 119. We'll begin in verse 129. Would you stand with me once more? Let's give our attention to the inspired, the infallible, the preserved word of God. And may the Lord be pleased to fill our hearts with his light. <clears throat> Psalm 119, verse 129, this is the word of God. Thy testimonies are wonderful. Therefore doth my soul keep them. The entrance of thy words giveth light it giveth understanding unto the simple i opened my mouth and panted for i longed for thy commandment look thou upon me and be merciful unto me as thou 
uses to do to those that love thy name. Order my steps in thy word. And let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Deliver me from the oppression of man. So will I keep thy precepts. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. And teach me thy statutes. Rivers of waters run down mine eyes. Because they keep not thy law. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's unite our hearts in prayer. Father, because of thy grace, thy mercy, and thy love to us in Christ, we may stand in thy presence, knowing that thou hearest us. Father, I pray that I have not considered, that I have not toyed uh, with sin in my heart that might cancel thy hearing of my prayer. Father, I pray that we all would come before thee with humility, that we would all come before thee trusting and having confidence in thee, not in ourselves, in thy works. Father, our works mean nothing if they are not done by faith in thee. And I do pray that thou wouldst come and give us that genuine sense of thy holy presence. Father, we read it in thy book. We're not asking for something unusual. We're not asking for something that thy word does not set forth. We're not asking to simply chase experiences. But we want to know thee. We hunger for thee. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth our souls after thee, O God. Hear us. Didst not thy disciples plead with thee, O Christ? Teach us to pray. I pray that all of us have prayed that prayer. Lord, that we have all come to thee and said, teach me to pray. And then, oh God, I pray that we've become to, become to be regular inhabitants of our prayer rooms, our prayer closets, our, our areas to which we retire to seek thy face, to commune with the Father, with the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that throughout the week we have sought Thee and now together Thou hast heard our prayers. Thou art hearing us now and that we will know the blessings of Thy presence. We want Thee. 
We don't want the foul stench of the flesh. We want the fragrance of Christ in our midst. Oh God, may our worship be like the alabaster box. Broken, poured out on Christ and filling the house. Oh God, may there be the blessing of Christ in our midst. These are thy people. Thou dost love them. Come now. Speak by thy word. Help this vessel of dust. Fallible. To handle thy word infallible. Oh God. Oh God please. From the children to the adults. Hear us. Hear our cries to thee. Make us to know thee. Make us to know that we've met with our God today. That our God has drawn near to us. Save the lost. And encourage. Build up. Thy beloved blood-bought people. And may the Holy Spirit do the work that Christ has sent him to do here this morning. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. God's infallible word is one of the greatest gifts to the people of this world. Let me repeat. God's infallible word is one of his greatest gifts to the people of this world. The 66 spirit inspired books are God's library of special Revelation. Scripture reveals God's attributes and works throughout history. It reveals man's sinfulness and desperate need for redemption. And it reveals God's eternal purpose to save sinners through the person and work of Jesus Christ. God's word reveals law and gospel. It reveals God's covenants, his instruction for covenant life, and our responsibilities in covenant with him. The Bible coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit is the perfect guide for the believer's life. So do you read it? Do you study it? Do you memorize it? Do you devour it? Do you apply it to your life and obey it? God's word speaks of God's holiness in all that he is and all that he does.
It reveals his power, his presence, his knowledge, and his perfect, his, in fact, his beautiful perfections. The scriptures speak of God's grace, mercy, and love for us in Christ incarnate, Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, Christ ascended, Christ interceding, and Christ returning. When His Spirit dwells within us, don't miss that qualifier. When His Spirit dwells within us, we read the Bible with the eyes of faith. And in its pages, we see a God so holy, so powerful, so wise, so good, so gracious, so loving, so perfect in all that He is, And all that he does, we cannot but love him, but want him, but see our need for him, but seek him. I go back to my question. Is that how you view the Bible? Is it where you go to seek the living God? When His Spirit dwells within us, He kindles a love for Him that cannot stand seeing His Word disobeyed. Let me repeat that. When the Spirit dwells within us, the Holy Spirit, the life-creating Spirit, The universe creating spirit. The resurrecting power spirit. When he dwells within us, he kindles a love for God that cannot stand seeing his word disobeyed. That cannot bear seeing him dishonored. That cannot Put up with seeing his glory defiled and denied. So it was with the psalmist. King David. Psalm 119. By the way, let's remind ourselves. This is the old covenant. How should that be ramped up in the new covenant? The new covenant doesn't just make things easier so that we can live more like the world. We have blessings beyond virtually anything that the Old Testament saints could comprehend. Are we using them? Are we walking in them? Are we living in them? Psalm 119 exalts God and God's word. It is no surprise then 
that it is the longest psalm and the longest chapter in the Bible. To study, to believe, to sing, to pray, this psalm will bring heartfelt worship, adoration, and thanksgiving to the God who speaks to us in His Word, who reveals Himself in His Word, who transforms lives by His Word. On the other hand, those heartfelt expressions turn to sorrow when we see God's professing people as well as the unbelieving world disobeying God. Are you troubled by what you see in our nation, in our world? Or are you just bothered by the politics and inconveniences of it? Are you shaken because this world disobeys the God that made it? We should be. I will tell you honestly, as I have meditated on this passage, as I've wrestled and struggled with how to preach it, if five minutes in, Everybody got up and left. I would have to preach this with all my heart to me. I pray that while this may be very weighty to some, that you will sit down and look at this God-breathed text and ask yourself, am I in that verse? Does that describe me? This psalm enlightened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Must bring us to some questions. When David looked at his nation. The professing people of God. He said. Their wickedness. Makes me weep. He's not stomping his foot. And yelling for the next presidential elect. As the savior. He said here's God's people. And their disobedience to God's word. Makes me weep. So the question follows. What about us? 
What about us? How do we react? Not simply to the evil of our world. But to the fact that the creatures given life by God rebel against him. Including many that say they belong to him. What about us? Do we weep over God's glory defiled and denied by our city, our state, our nation, our world? The title of this message is Tears for God's Glory. Tears for God's Glory. May the blessed spirit of the Father and the Son give us ears to hear him in the congregation. May our hearts rise in love to the triune God. And may our hearts be filled with desire for his glory and for his word. Our first thought is this. When David saw disobedience to God's word, it caused him to weep. Now, David was a mighty man. He wasn't a sissy, as the word used to be used. He wasn't a wimp. He wasn't a sensitive man in our culture. He was a king. God said he's a man of blood. He fought in wars and he won them. This is a mighty man. His manness is obvious when you read him in the scriptures. From his triumphs to his failures. He's a man. And this man who had been in many battles, who saw blood, wept when he saw disobedience to God. David first expressed his love for God's word. Psalm 119, verses 129 through 135. First, David declared how wonderful God's law is. Now that sounds very strange to many modern Christians because of the kind of aberrant theology that denies a place for God's law in the life of a believer. I mean, if you have to stop and think about it, consider, why would he love that horrible law? I've heard so many preachers in our day denigrate the law of God when Paul didn't. And they usually claim Paul as the source 
for their view of grace. David thought God's law was wonderful. He didn't say, oh, the clanking change of legalism. He didn't talk like that. He didn't write like that. He said, thy law is wonderful. How about it? That law is written on the heart of new covenant believers. That's part of his promise of the new covenant. It's not out there etched in stone. It's in here, etched on fleshy tables of the heart. If you don't love these commandments, something's not right. David said, Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. I walk in them. I love them. I guard them. Depending on who you read, that, that word keep them can mean I obey them or I guard them because they're God's word to me. Either way, we can say both of those are true. The entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. David declared the understanding that God's law gives. That's a plus, isn't it? <laughs> he gives us his law so that we don't go on as simpletons. Now, <laughs> if, you read this, if you read this verse and think, yeah, we got some simple ones here in the congregation, you're missing the point. We know nothing of wisdom, discernment, or God's truth without God's help. Nothing. And we won't love it. But David loved it. And he said, the entrance of thy word coming into my heart, it brings the light of God to my life. And it gives understanding to the simple, to those who don't get life, to those who don't understand how life goes, to those who are ignorant of his ways. It brings light. Number three, David declared his longing for God's law. It's so wonderful. It is, <laughs> it is so light-bringing. He says... I opened my mouth and panted. Now let's be honest. Has anybody here ever panted for the scriptures? We could even say, all right, let's set the law aside for a minute, whatever our theological system may say. Do you pant for God's word? Do you have an inner hunger for God's word? David understood that God was speaking. David understood that this was covenant truth. David understood that he could understand God's ways. Because God spoke and God gave it to us. And he panted for it. He said, I longed for thy commandment. When was the last time, just be honest with yourself, nobody has to raise a hand. When was the last time you longed for God's word? I've got to have it. 
as the book of Job sets before us, more than my necessary food. Really? Was breakfast a bigger deal than hearing from God? Let's be honest. Do we pant, pant, hunger, long for God's truth? David declared his longing. Verse 132, David then pleaded for God's mercy. He understood that he could go to God for certain important things. Listen. Look thou upon me and be merciful unto me. Why is he saying that? Because the entrance of God's word gave him light. And he understood his need for the living God. Just as in our day someone comes and speaks the gospel to us. When the Holy Spirit comes and shatters our darkness. And sends the light of his truth to convict our souls. We will cry, oh have mercy upon me. Save me. Have mercy upon me, as thou usest to do unto those that love thy name. God loves his people, and he loves those that love him back. And he shows them mercy, grace, love, encouragement. He corrects them. He reproves them. He rebukes them. He exhorts them. He shows them how to walk in the way, and then, after commanding them to do it, he helps them do it. David prayed for God's guidance, verse 133. Notice, he went from declaring the wonders of God's love to prayer. Do we see a connection? When we hear from God, when we understand what God calls us to, when we understand the wonderful promises that he gives us, promise after promise after promise, I mean, do we even know where to go and look for some of his promises? But when we see what we are, and when we see what he is, by the glory and beauty of his law, by the glory and the beauty of his entire word, does it make us pray? It should. If we're learning about who God is, we should go to him. We realize, he says, pray We read David. David says, I cried out to him in prayer. And he heard me. Mm. David knew that he could pray to God for mercy. He knew that he could pray for guidance. Look what he says. Order my steps in thy word. What a great prayer. Lord, order my steps. In other words, take my life and let it be, right? Do what you will, but teach me how to walk in thy word, because in my heart, I have a love for thee. I have a longing for thee, and I want to walk with thee. 
I want to bring thee glory with my life. I want my words to honor thee. I want my actions to honor thee. I want my inner sanctum that no one can see, generally. I want it to honor thee. I want to chase away all the filthy things that want to come and land and build a nest there. David asked for guidance based on the word of God. How is your Christian life going? I'm not talking to the lost right now. I'm talking to those that profess to be Christian. How's it going? Do you have some encouragement that God is guiding and directing you, empowering you to deal with your lusts? Are you, do you have some idea of what to do today, what to do tomorrow, what to do in the next year? Because God's word is like a mirror and is showing you who and what you are and who and what he is and what he's done for you. He prayed for God's guidance because he knew he could do this according to the word of God. Not only that, in verse 134, David prayed for God's deliverance. Deliver me from the oppression of man. So will I keep thy precepts. So will I keep thy precepts. Uh, when we're in jail, uh, when we are thrown in the dungeon, uh, when we've been persecuted, it's hard to live according to what God's word calls us to. Is that not so? Maybe some of us don't know that. Go into the jail and ask them how easy it is to follow Christ in jail. He prayed for deliverance. What didn't Paul tell us to pray for kings and all that are in government so that we could live godly lives? This is both Old and New Testament truth. Well, <clears throat> he did say, let no iniquity have dominion over me and then deliver me from the oppression of man. Our sins oppress us, our own flesh oppresses us, and men, women, other people can oppress us. It's in God that we have our liberty. It's in God that we know the truth that makes us free. David understood this. And number seven, God, uh, David prayed for God's favor and instruction. Verse 135. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Now that, what he's calling on, uh, what he's calling for is for God to bless him. Make thy, that comes from Numbers chapter six, where we read the blessing the God-given blessing upon his people. And part of it is, make thy face to shine upon this. It's not talking about just having a nice sunshiny day. What it's talking about is, show us thy favor. Be good to us. Show us thy grace and thy mercy and thy love. Make your face to shine upon us. Don't hide from us. David knew he could pray for that. It was the blessing from God. It was from Numbers. And he could say, make thy face 
to shine upon thy servant and teach me thy statutes. Verse after verse after verse, he talks about God's word, God's love, God's scriptures. And he's ordering his life according to that. That's why he saves us. He saves us to walk with him. To reflect his righteous character in our words and our deeds to those around us. And of course, in our thoughts before the holy God. So, he has just spent all those verses showing us the wonder, the beauty, the enlightening power of God's word. He longs for that word. He longs to walk with God in that word. He knows that to be guided into God's truth is the only real way to live. So then, after speaking about how wonderful and glorious God's word is. David wept over the disobedience to God's law. The word of God, the law of God meant so much to him in his panting, in his desire, in his wanting to honor the God who had blessed him and had saved him. He wept. Hmm. How about us? When we look at the revelation set before us in Scripture, at the Son of God who became flesh, and we see him hanging on the cross for the filth that goes through our heads, through the filth that comes out of our mouths, through the filthy sin. That we do with our hands and our feet and our members. We should love a God like that. With every fiber of our being. And we should be jealous. For his honor. His glory. His reputation. I did not have. Brothers and sisters, as so many of you have been blessed with. Unfortunately, my mother loved all the stuff I did, just about. Except for when she caught me doing things I wasn't supposed to. My mom loved just about everybody that she ever met. She knew no strangers. She was kind to people she'd never laid eyes on until that moment. She was sweet. She was hilarious. She was wonderful. And most of the time, she was the most wonderful person to be around. Unless you said something negative about me and then all five foot two of her Irish would get in your face I witnessed it (laughs) I found out that later when I got older and left the house she wasn't there to defend me but here's the fact because she had no other child 
I was the one, quotation marks. And she was not going to let people talk about me in a way that she didn't believe, or if she did believe it, that she intended to cover. Because she loved me, and she wanted people to speak of me in a good way. What about your God? Have you gotten hard to the fact that people take his name in vain all the time? I'm astonished at Christians. Doesn't surprise anybody, right? I'm astonished at Christians that will go to a film, a PG film, and they'll say, there weren't any bad words in it. And I will say, did they... Did they use Jesus Christ's name as a swear word? Uh, well, yeah. I said, that's worse than any four-letter word in the book. Do you get that? They're talking about your Savior. These PG movies very often nowadays are as foul as R-rated movies were when I was in college. But I will tell you, there is virtually no film produced by the cesspool called Hollywood that doesn't take God's name, and especially Christ's name, in vain. And Christians pay for it and say, it's my liberty. It's okay for them to use my Savior's name as a swear word. Some of you may have seen in the news this week, Salman Rushdie, who had written a book called The Satanic Verses, which uh, Islam took great exception to. They stabbed him in the neck. They tried to kill him. He lived. This was years ago. But they found the moment when they said, you blasphemed our God. You're going to die. Wow. Christians go and pay for their God to be blasphemed. Astounding! No wonder we don't weep. Why aren't we weeping? Why aren't we weeping that God's law is being broken? Why aren't we weeping for those souls that are living under the curse of God and on their way to the flames of hell. What's wrong with us? David, under the old covenant, wept when the laws of God were broken. Why aren't we weeping for this nation? For your neighborhood. As I mentioned last week. That's not too hard for us to work up a few tears for our children. We might even work up some tears for people we know. That have just been through a difficult situation. But. There's something higher than that. Those things certainly are legitimate. But when that's all it is. That's saying something very loud. About our spiritual condition. 
and what is important to us. David understood the glory and the beauty of God's word. Even its laws. When we consider our weak and feeble condition, we can weep over many things. Isn't that so? Isn't that so? Listen. We can weep because we're happy. Happens occasionally. Not so often among men. But it does happen occasionally, even, even with men. Out of sheer joy of something that's happened, we weep. That's not wrong. Tears of joy often roll down our faces at weddings or the birth of a child or when we see someone rescued from danger or sickness. We can weep because we are relieved. Perhaps we've been under emotional stress and then we weep when the trouble's over. Now, Some of you know exactly what that is. Some of you may not. Likewise, we can weep because of unrelenting stress, dreadful feelings of inadequacy, personal relationships going wrong, long or chronic illness, pressures in work and marriage and family and even congregational life. It's not unusual for some of us to cry when we're angry. We get so angry, the tears flow. Surely many children and adults have cried when we are in physical pain. Men aren't supposed to, and we'll do our best to just kind of grunt and groan in your presence. But sometimes you weep because it hurts. One of the worst memories in my life regarding my presence before my children was a time when I was suffering profoundly from vascular headaches. And the pain would come and be so strong. It was like someone had driven a hot burning nail into my skull and brain. And the pain was overwhelming. And I would have to get in a room. I would have to make it as black as I possibly could. Every bit of light was horrifying. I had trouble breathing. The pain was so intense that I would just lie there. And without even trying, my eyes would fill up with tears and just pour out. And one got so, uh, I would be praying, let me pass out. Oh God, please. Please just let me pass out. And I couldn't. And I crawled on my hands and knees into the living room. And my children looking at me. And I was wailing like a beast. Get your mother. Get your mother. The pain was absolutely unbearable. That can happen. You can have unbearable pain and you can cry. Isn't that so? We sob and we weep 
when someone hurts our feelings. That's a big one. A loved one wounds us. A friend betrays us. A family member or co-worker embarrasses us. We can weep over that. Some of us weep and wail when we fail in something important to others or something important to ourselves. When we have let when we have let someone down. We cry bitter tears when we're disappointed. When our expectations shatter. When we do not reach longed for goals. And they melt before us. People weep. Men and women. Our eyes often pour out tears when our desires, when our hopes are frustrated. Why is it going this way? I don't get it. Oh, how we shed tears when we're sad, when we're lonely, when we have lost something or someone important to us. One of my dear relatives, a much-loved relative, said to me once, after a great tragedy befell her, I've gotten used to losing things. I've gotten used to letting go of things that were important to me. should let those words sink in. Those are sad words. I've gotten used to letting go of things that were important to me. Life is full of sorrows. Life is full of tears. Someone, a loved one, dies. A child rejects his or her upbringing. A close relationship dissolves. Someone we trust tells others something we've shared in secret. The list of things that we cry over is endless. This is by no means an exhaustive list. But here's the point. Of delineating all those. We cry about some things. Do any of us weep. Over God's law. Being broken. It's clear. We can all weep. Sooner or later something will happen. Even to the tough guys. That will make them weep. I used to witness in Baton Rouge, right outside of the gates of LSU. It was the watering hole where many of the students came in the evening. I sat behind a particular watering hole, and I would wait for them to come out. And one night, I made friends with a man who was a Vietnam vet. 
a big burly guy. And I mean, his chest was just huge. And he was bad news. He'd pick people up and throw them over a car. He was strong. And when he was under the influence of chemicals or alcohol, he was a scary guy. And one night he came out and he grabbed me by the head, put me in a headlock. And as I was praying, Lord, take care of Myra, take care of the children. This is probably my night. He finally let me go. And I said, want to talk for a few minutes? About what? About your soul. He sat down. And I started talking with him about Christ and about his soul. And when I spoke of God's love, he said, there is no God of love. He said, in one day, my entire, my entire I don't think it was a platoon, but he had a squad of men. He said they were all killed in one day. And this big brute broke down and wept like a baby. Everybody can weep. It just depends on what the issue is. Here's the issue for us. Do we weep over God's broken laws? Do we weep when we see people on their way to hell? Do we weep when God's glory is dirtied by men's rebellions? David says, rivers of waters run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. They keep not thy law. I ask myself, and I ask all of you, do we weep over God's broken laws? And the, the, the follow-up question, of course, is if not, why not? I'm not saying that we live in a state of depression. I'm not saying that we should live with a dark cloud over us every moment of every day. I'm not saying there aren't moments to rejoice, moments of great hope, moments of delirious joy in in the Spirit of God. Of course there are. But what do we think about God's glory and obedience to His Word? David seems to have two things in view when he says, My eyes were like rivers. First, he wept for the disobedient. Breaking God's law is a dreadful sin. And all sin, any sin, is damnable. Sin is rebellion against a good God. Rejection of His righteous will. Despising His holy purpose. And hatred of His good character. David says, Rivers of waters run down mine eyes. David was not merely misty. His eyes were not just watering. His tears were not a trickle. David's eyes were streaming tears, gushing fountains of liquid sorrow for the souls of men and for what they were bringing on themselves. 
David is expressing deep sorrow and anguish of soul that streams from his eyes. That's the physical manifestation. Why? Because some of his fellow Jews, some of the people that were supposed to be God's people were breaking God's law. That perfect standard of righteousness. God gave his law for the good of his people. He said in Deuteronomy 5.29, Oh, that there was such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Hmm. In his day, David knew that under God's covenant, disobedience would stir God's wrath It would bring God's dreadful curses upon the people and upon its land. Sickness would infect them. Crop failure would starve them. Enemies would rise against them. And hostile nations would drag them out of their land. He knew this. He knew that was coming. And he wept. It caused him to weep. Friends, the day of judgment is coming. The day of judgment is coming. And people all around us do not know our Savior. They live in defiance of God's law. They live in defiance of the commandments of Christ. And a great tragedy along with that is that many Christians, professing Christians anyway, aren't worried about obedience. That's legalism. I'm saved by grace. Let's not make a big deal about this. Hmm. Really, when God killed people in the first church, what are we talking about? He said... Some of you are coming to the Lord's Supper drunk. Some of you are eating up everybody's food. You got houses. Eat there. Drink there. He said, but because you come and you're not taking the Lord's Supper in the right spirit, some of you are sick and some of you have died. God killed Ananias and Sapphira. First church. What? Wait, this isn't a pretty picture. You're right. We should weep about those who live in their sins. What's wrong with us? My friends, can we weep for what's coming upon our nation? The things that are already here in our nation? Do you weep? Look at its disobedience to God's law. Will not God pour out his just wrath upon a corrupt nation, a law-breaking nation, a baby-murdering nation, a drug and alcohol-stupefied nation, a sodomite-exalting nation, a drag queen-hour nation, a rapidly-becoming pagan nation? Is anybody concerned about this other than, oh, they're not Republicans. Look at this nation and tremble.
David not only wept for those lawbreakers. We just go, ah, well, you know, when God comes, he's going to settle it up and he'll get them. Hmm. Well, there's a truth in that. But what are we doing with the gospel? Are we trying to overcome the darkness with the sword of the spirit, not with guns and bombs? It's our day, y'all. It's our day to live holy lives and to weep for them that are lost. Well, the second thing David wept over was the, the glory of God. He wept over God's glory. Not only did he weep about what was coming upon those who were breaking his laws, he wept because it was God. He loved God. He didn't want God to be dishonored. To disobey God's word is to dishonor God and to rob him of his glory. We're his, we're the creatures made in his image. We're his image bearers. We should be showing forth righteousness, not wickedness. Love and love for him and love for one another that the world has to stand back. And even if they hate us, they've got to say, well, these people believe what they're talking about. Amen. To disobey God's word. Oh, let us hear some voices from the past. I've gathered a few things so that you won't think Jeff had a tough week. And so, wow, it's being poured out on us. No. Listen to what our brothers throughout the ages have said. John Calvin said, here, meaning this passage, this verse, here David affirms that he was inflamed with no ordinary zeal for the glory of God. Inasmuch as he dissolved wholly into tears on account of the contempt put upon the divine law. He speaks hyperbolically, but still he truly and plainly expresses the disposition of mind with which he was endued. In other words, when he says... There were rivers of water flowing down my face. He's saying, well, there were not actually rivers. But he's telling you the spirit which filled him. His eyes were gushing tears. Wherever the spirit of God reigns, he excites this ardent zeal. We should be zealous for God and his glory and for his holy name, for his wonderful word. He says in another place, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Wherever the Spirit of God reigns, he excites this ardent zeal which burns the hearts of the godly when they see the commandment of the Most High God accounted as a thing of naught. He said, there it is. If you've got a heart made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit, one thing you can't stand is to see your God defamed and His law treated as nothing. That's your nation right now. Every day it's defaming the Most High God. Standing in rebellion. 
Calvin says, it is not enough that each of us endeavor to please God. That's important. We must also desire that his law be held in estimation by all men. If in former times the ungodliness of the world extorted from the children of God such bitter grief, so great is the corruption into which we at this day are fallen that those who can look upon the present state of things unconcerned and without tears are thrice, yea, four times insensible. If this may not be your case, So I don't want to paint with a broad brush. But if you're insensible, ask yourself why. Lord, why is it that I'm not troubled by the people going to hell around me? Why am I not troubled at what's happening in every institution of our nation? Including the churches. It's amazing. Calvin... In the 1500s is looking and saying, well, our day's much worse than those earlier days. Wow, what would he think if he saw this? How great a day in our frenzy of the world in despising God and neglecting his doctrine. A few, no doubt, are to be found who with the mouth profess their willingness willingness to receive it, God's doctrine, but scarcely one in ten proves the sincerity of his profession by his life. Calvin, the, the, a modern apostle of grace. This is no legalist. But my dear friends, are you hearing him? He says, meanwhile, countless multitudes are hurried away to the impostures of Satan and to the Pope. He says, if there is then the smallest portion of piety remaining in us, full rivers of tears and not merely small drops will flow from our eyes. I have to look into this mirror. And ask myself, what is my genuine concern? How is it driving my life? Am I just doing my ho-hum, this is what we do at our house, and that's all I do? Oh, my brethren, Calvin is telling us that it is natural for Christians to be shocked and weeping over the lawbreakers in the world. That's the kind of heart he will tell us that Jesus had. That's exactly what connects us to the message last week. Jesus wept over the city that was about to crucify him. Oh, my brethren, biblical Christianity During the days of the Puritans, Scottish theologian David Dixon said, It grieved him, David, much to see God dishonored by those among whom he lived and to see them, by not obeying God's statutes, draw upon them God's wrath. Charles Spurgeon declared, None 
are so affected by heavenly things as those who are much in the study of the word and are thereby taught the truth and essence of things. Carnal men are afraid of brute force and weep over losses and crosses. But spiritual men feel a holy fear of the Lord himself and most of all lament when they see dishonor cast upon his holy name. Close quote. Spurgeon. Not known as a maniacal legalist. William Swan Plumer said, quote, The grief of a pious soul for sins is not only or chiefly for the misery thus brought on, but chiefly because sin is exceeding sinful and greatly dishonors God. Hear that word dishonor showing up over and over again because they understood what David was saying. My God is being dishonored by the rebellions of men and women and children every day. I weep for them and I weep for my God's reputation among men. Swan goes on to say, or, or Plumer goes on to say, grief for sin in ourselves or others is never excessive. Sin is hateful, horrible, sinful, shameful, wicked, ruinous. We cannot mourn too much for sin. That is impossible. I read these things and I was thinking, don't you guys believe in grace? Every one of them did. But today, in the minds of many, including many reformed, grace is the excuse for living like the world. That should grieve us. We should grieve about our sins and grieve about others. Oh, my friends, Charles Bridges in his wonderful book on Psalm 119, says that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Now, a Christian in this, as in every other feature, will be conformed to the image of his Lord. His heart will therefore be touched with a tender concern for the honor of his God and a pitying concern for those wretched sinners that keep not his law and are perishing in their own transgressions. I want you to hear Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4. God said to a cherub, to an angel, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. Mark them. Why? God didn't destroy them. He destroyed the rest. He marked those that were grieving over the abominations of the holy city. Bridges says about this, the character of God's people represented not merely as those that are free from, but as those that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst of the land they alone are marked out for mercy in the midst of impending universal 
ruin. In other words, whatever's coming on this nation, we want to be found obeying our God, obeying our Christ, walking with Him according to His Word, bringing forth glory to Him, even if things completely tank. Now, the Lord might send a wonderful revival. We're singing for it. We're, we're praying for it. God, send awakening. Send the power of thy spirit. Bring people to a clear understanding of their lostness. Bring them to a clear understanding of how thou dost hate their sins. And repent. Teach them to repent. Teach them to look to the promise of the gospel. Or do you care? Do we care? Well, there are other quotes here. I'm just going to move on. So, <clears throat> there are quite a number of good things that we could say here, but I'm going to pass over them. It's our time to close. So let me just see this. Jump down to the third main heading. Do we see God's glory in Christ Jesus? I had a whole portion about God's glory, but we don't have time for that. What I'm going to say to you is this. Now, Brother, you have just set before us a less than exciting and encouraging message. Mm. Well, it's here in the Bible. And I think that if we're going to talk about, oh, we believe the whole counsel of God, uh, we ought to sit down and, and listen to David for a while as the prophet of God. David was a prophet. David was a prophet. He prophesied Christ. My friends, he was the very thing used of God to speak plainly of the Christ to come. And he himself was a type of it. So do we see God's glory in Christ Jesus? We can say it this way. The glory of God is the radiant outshining of his perfections in his person and in his works. And how do we glorify a God like that? By praising and thanking and magnifying and exalting him for who he is and what he does. That's how we glorify the God of heaven and earth. Brothers and sisters, do we realize, do we see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is indeed the greatest revelation of the glory of God in this world? Do we get that? Listen, listen to Paul. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe that. That should grieve our hearts to think of people all around us that are blind to the glory and the beauty of Christ the Savior. Paul says, in whom... The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts, listen, to give the light... Of the knowledge of the glory of God. 
in the face of Jesus Christ. Where do we go in this day to see the glory of God in its absolute beauty, in its absolute life-giving force? The gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. To set before men and women and children the God-man. The one who came into this world, born of a virgin, made under the law. The one who went to Calvary's cross to bear all the sins for all of his people, for all of eternity. There's the wisdom of God. There's the love of God. There are the attributes of God shining forth. There's the glory of God, the goodness of God, the kindness of God. There it is. Now. Are we grieved that people reject the gospel? We should. It's their only hope. And we should be bringing it clearly, truly, by the power of God's Spirit. We don't want to go out and just raise up a bunch of signs and say we hate everybody that doesn't agree with us. We want to show them the love of the Almighty God. I don't talk, I'm not talking about some kind of gushy thing. I'm talking about the love of God manifested in His Son coming into this world and dying upon Calvary's cross, bearing all the sins of His people, rising again the third day, conquering death and opening up the pathway for eternity with God in glory. That's our hope. Now may God be pleased to open our minds, enlighten our minds with his word and weep. The weeping David is talking about something that is not natural to human condition. It arises from a heart made new by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can feel sorry about people that are hungry. Lost people do every day. But we're talking about the souls of men. It arises from a heart made new by Christ. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Let us weep over our city. Let us cry out to God until he softens our hard and icy hearts. And we can see the people around us as immortal souls in the peril of hell forever. Does this mean nothing to you? Or is it that which grips us and says, Oh yes, let me bring the glory of God into your house today. Let me tell you about Christ. Oh, let us weep for our city. Let us weep for the glory of God stained by rebellion. Let's not have any fleshy weeping. We're not going to work ourselves up into it. We want the Spirit of God to move in our souls. And may rivers of waters run down our eyes for the sinners that live in the defiance of God. May we see many of them converted to Christ. May we preach the glorious gospel of the grace of God to their never dying souls. May it be to God's glory for their eternal good. Amen. Lord God, we need thy help. We need thy help. Lord, as thou art reigning out there, as thou art pouring down waters, may we weep 
The sky is weeping. The sky is crying. The tears are running down the face of the earth. Help us, O God, to weep for the souls of men. Help us, O God, to repent of our own disobediences, our lack of repentance. When we weep, and many of those things about which we weep are legitimate, but as we weep, help us to weep for the souls of the lost. Help us to weep for the glory of our God. In Jesus' name, amen.